Welcome to the Brotherhood of Fatherhood podcast. This is Scott Ramage, and today I have the pleasure of talking with Brandon Graham. Brandon is a men's minister at Rock Point Church in Texas. He's the father of three, a husband, and spent 10 years in the Marine Corps. How are you doing, Brandon? Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Yeah. So um, why don't you go ahead and just start out by telling us what you're kind of involved in right now. Well, um, as you said, I'm a, and currently involved in, uh, I've been a men's minister um, at Rock Point Church uh, in Flower Mound for about seven years. Uh, I guess I've been the men's minister for about five of that. And what I've found is in our community, we live in a suburb of Dallas, um, a little higher end community. And it seems that no matter where men are uh, socially or um, economically, it seems like that everybody struggles with faith, family, and finances. And so those are the areas that I really try to concentrate on in my ministry. Um, but having also dealt with um, depression myself, um, I'm, I'm generally a high drive person and found myself really um, in a weird spot a few years ago with uh, depression. And having done that and gone through it, I now, my personal mission and my personal ministry is to reach high drive individuals, make them aware of depression, the symptoms and the signs, because they're the most likely to get it and the less like the least likely to ask for help. So that's really my my bigger purpose in life, other than running the men's ministry. I, I, I seek to help men every single day, but my bigger purpose is to raise awareness in the mental health arena for high drive men and women to let them know signs and symptoms and uh, how to ask for help. I think this is a really great topic because I think people are uh, in general a, a little afraid to talk about it or admit uh, that maybe they've struggled with it. I think there's a, still a little taboo wrapped around these types of topics. And um, I'd love to know more of like, you know, where you gain your interest in this. I mean, wh why this topic? And what, I mean, I, you said you see it a lot. Um, so, Give us a little background on, you know, how you kind of started to delve into this. Yeah. Um, well, I, I struggled with it myself. Um, and I, I really got, I really figured it out and got diagnosed for my first time in October of 2012. Um, before I jump into that story, though, you did say so. You, you teed off on something I just want to address to your listeners is that um, it is a big problem for a lot of men and there is a stigma that goes with it that uh, people don't want to admit but the truth is the high drive individuals are the most likely to get it because it is a chemical depletion of your brain of us you and i guys like you and i running in the in the red all the time living on adrenaline living on the the next dopamine hit of the next big sale the next big deal the next big entrepreneurial business and it's those types of things that high individuals strive for that keeps the chemicals running and that actually has a depletion in our chemicals that causes the depression. And that's exactly what happened to me in 2012. As I, um, I, was own, I owned and operated a landscaping company. I was a part-time worship pastor at a small church. And I was, uh, I was going to a seminary um, no less than 12 to 15 hours. At, at the time, I was actually in my undergrad program, but I wasn't taking any less than 12 hours per semester, including summers, and uh, was father of three kids, coaching Little League Baseball, 
and just burning the candle at every single, at both ends, but at every opportunity, I said yes to everything, which is uh, some, a lot of guys struggle with as well. Opportunities are just because you can, doesn't mean you should in every opportunity that you have. Um, and I found myself one day, I was sitting at the computer trying to do a complete an assignment and I literally could not type the words. It was the strangest feeling. It was just like this, this freezing, uh, my whole body was paralyzed. Um, and I don't mean, it, it's really hard to explain unless you've been to it. I know a lot of your listeners have experienced this, so they're going to resonate with it. But for the guys that dance, don't, it's really hard to explain. But there is a paralysis, a mental block that is so strong. It's like writer's block, but times a million. Uh, my wife actually came in, stood next to me and said, okay, what's the title of the paper? I said, I don't know. She said, just type title of the paper. And so I typed title of the paper. And then she wrote, then she said, put your name. I put my name. And then she said, okay, just write what the first sentence is. Just start writing. And I couldn't. And it was the craziest feeling. And I knew something was going on because normally the things that would normally interest me weren't interesting me anymore. I wasn't, um, I, I just, I just wanted to be alone. I wanted to be isolated. So doing landscaping was great for me because I could put in my ear pods and just be out with my crew, make sure they're doing stuff. But then I could go do my own thing. And um, I said, I think I said ear pods, um, whatever that is, the, the earphones, excuse me, I get that mixed up with the AirPods, but put those in and, and just be alone. So um, yeah, that's kind of how, where it went. And then, so I decided to see a counselor, went and saw a counselor. And I, before I went, I made sure that I just typed out all my, all my symptoms I could think of because I wasn't sure what was going on with me. I literally had no idea what was going on with me. So I put it in a Word document in just bullet form and handed it to her. And she said, Brandon, this is like textbook depression. And I was like, what? She's like, yeah, I could take down the, uh, the uh, what do they call whatever they call it, the DMV or whatever the... D DSMV yeah, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, the DSM-5 yeah. and put it next to this and, and show you that it's literally what you have. And I was like, but I'm not in a bad mood. And that's, I think, they call it a mood disorder. And so people get confused right. because they're like, I'm not in a bad mood. Why would you diagnose me with a mood disorder? And so it took me a minute to really get my brain wrapped around it. But she said that's what it was. So I went home and then I started Googling. Hand to God, I did not Google before I did any of my symptoms. I didn't, because I didn't even think that was a possibility was depression. So I went and Googled it up and started looking at all the different symptoms and signs and seeing what other people wrote. And I realized two things. One, I had depression. And two, very few men were talking about it. Very few men other than yeah. doctors and psychologists yeah. were talking about it. So that's when I knew um, we were in trouble or I was in trouble um, because I needed an outlet to find some help and to find somebody that understood me and understood the high drive individual. Um, I think oftentimes uh, we high drive people have tendency to, to judge people who aren't high, as high driven as us. We see them as lazy. They're working at their slow or whatever. Right. And Quite yeah, frankly, guilty. Yeah. People like that <laughs> in our lives. Um, sometimes if, if we have any of those that struggle with depression or bipolar or any of that kind of stuff. And uh, again, just for clarification, I'm not talking about anything about bipolar and I don't have bipolar, but um, we as high drive individuals tend to see people like that and attach those symptoms to them. So we really don't like it when people say we have depression because then we automatically put our judgments of other people on ourselves as a mirror of what they're probably seeing of us, which probably is more telling to us or telling of us than the people that we're 
uh, well, projecting on. It's interesting because when you were telling me, telling us the story of trying to write the paper and you were paralyzed, like my response was laughter, right? And it's not because I think it was bad. It's just, we see these behaviors as different and that's part of the problem. Like you say, say tell this story to one person, they laugh and it, you know, it just exacerbates our own personal feelings or recognition. So let's go back to that moment for a minute because see, you literally couldn't start. And I'm just trying to like, like that, what was the big aha moment? Like, holy, I mean, was that it, that very moment? Was that it? And then did you go directly to the doctor or were there steps in between? Yeah. So, um, that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back, I think was that moment. Yeah. But there was just kind of this overall, um, sense of unrest, a sense of not being able, uh, not really liking to do anything, even things that I would normally enjoy. And uh, mm. I'm not talking about just sex and eating. I'm talking about like uh, hobbies and things like this. It's just like, I just didn't feel like doing anything. I wanted to do my job in landscaping because I could be away and alone and do my thing. Then I would come home and um, I, the things that I enjoyed doing, this is the thing about depression. You can do the things you enjoy doing. It's, it, you're not paralyzed from playing baseball with the kids in the backyard you're paralyzed from doing the hard things, doing the things that are difficult that you don't really want to do. It's like, I mean, we all kind of, I think we all have a little bit of procrastination in us, but it's like uh, way harder and more difficult in those situations. I was going to say, it could be really easily wrapped in the clothing of the term procrastination when really it's much more than that. Right. Um, and I don't want your tough. listeners to think that everybody that procrastinates probably has depression or they're, they're depressed. <laughs> no. You have to take the, right. uh, you, and I think you're alluding to this, but you have to, you have to take the symptoms as a whole, as they, as they, as the mm -hmm. whole context. Right. So what I found out after, um, I start, so you asked your question, um, what was the sequence of events? I went to the counselor, then I went to my PCP, uh, primary care physician, which by the way, this is for this is free for all your listeners. I would highly recommend that if you go to a counselor that says they think that you have something wrong that you might need to get on medicine, whether it's anti-depression, anti-anxiety, or whatever, that you go to a psychiatrist. That is their purpose. People think psychiatrists, they think you're laying on a couch and you know you're getting hypnosis and all this kind of things. Maybe right. that's part of it, but the psychiatrist's job is to manage the medications that you are on. That is their primary focus. So uh, to have an hour session with a counselor and then have a 30 to 45 minute session with a psychiatrist are two completely different things. The counselor is the where you talk through life and where you talk about things. I think Hollywood has made us believe that you go to the psychiatrist and it's like a counseling session. The psychiatrist right. asks you for an update and she says, um, you go to the psychiatrist and he or she will lay out a plan of medication, hopefully conservatively, to add in and adjust medications weekly, bi-weekly, or whatever to get you dialed in correctly. I tell people going mm -hmm. to your primary care physician for anti-anxiety medication or for, um, or for depression medication or any other type of medication is pretty much like just hiring a handyman to do your plumbing or hiring a handyman to do your electricity. Yeah, they know a little bit, but they're not experts. So go to the experts. So I didn't do that to begin with. I went from my counselor to my primary care physician who put me on some anti-depression uh, medication, a serotonin reuptake inhibitor, SSRI. And the, that medicine by itself is 
is intended to uh, block your body from uptaking serotonin again. So as you spend it, like basically as the cup overflows of serotonin, if I can give the listeners an analogy, pouring water into a glass and as it overflows, the glass gets all the serotonin it needs and then the water that flows out is extra. Well, your body takes that back up. The problem is as it uses more, your cup starts to not get full again. So um, this prevents your, you, you from using that excess water so that your body will continue to uh, fill the glass and give you that excess that, so it won't use it again. Um, it's a really uh, simple, uh, not, yeah. you know, it's a really simple illustration just to say that, that there's different types of medications, but the one that I was on specifically was for that and to get your chemicals right. And this is the key, I think, Scott, that we need to drive home. Medication is not a crutch. Medication is not a weakness. When your chemicals in your brain are so depleted, you have to have a little pharmaceutical help to get yourself back to a normal neurotypical level where you can talk to a counselor and you can see the big picture and make sense of the, of the counseling and the work that you've got to do on yourself. Because when you're depressed, the feeling is the, the two words I describe are hopeless and helpless. And Scott, I, I tell people it's like sitting at the bottom of a well. It's cold, it's dark, it's damp and it's dank and you look up and there's nobody coming. There's no help. Yeah. There's nobody's dropping a rope. Nobody's even looking over to see if you're okay. And ironically, as depressed people would have it, we don't even want to know, we don't want anybody to know we're even in the well. But it, it's, right. it, it, which is ironic because we really want help. We're helpless. We need help. But we refuse to let people know that we need help. But it's getting out of that well or getting a and all medication does is get your brain to a point where you get beyond the hopeless and the helpless feeling so that you can start feel like you're getting traction doing the work. I love that getting traction, getting traction to do what needs to be done to get better. So you, you get, you know, you got help. So tell me a little bit about, you know, what happened since then and, and um, have there been any other hiccups and, and, you know, just kind of help us walk through maybe what happens, what happened to you after, after you got help? Yeah. So, um, I, I got help ended up, uh, so they start out, they gave me an SSRI and then he gave me a little, um, a little, I call it 30 day in case you need it. Um, anti-anxiety medication. And, mm-hmm. um, he said it was going to last about two weeks. It takes for your medicine to kick in. He said it was going to, so this little anti-anxiety medication was to get you through the next two weeks. You get through the next two weeks. It's it's really strange uh, for those that have have not experienced it. It's really strange for someone who is in a depression. It's you hear people talk about this fog. You hear people talk about this this dreary, cloudy thing. Like when you see on the commercials, they've got a kid, a guy getting out of his bed and barely getting out in his robe. He hasn't shaved in three days, and he's got a rain cloud hanging over his head. That is, they do that because we can relate those that have been it. We know what that feeling is. We may not have not showered. We may not have stayed in bed for three days and not shaved, but we understand that feeling. But the strangest thing I alluded to it earlier, when I said, I looked back, the strangest thing about depression is that you learn more about being out of it than you did being in it because you now can recognize a, I can't remember the last time I laughed B. I can't remember the last time I was groping my wife and then C. uh, I can't remember the last time I felt this, this clarity of my mind, this, this 
feeling of like you walk outside and the sun's shining and the air's fresh and then this fog is gone in this brain fog. Right. Um, so once I got to that point, then everything started rocking along. I will, I, I don't want to mislead your viewers and make it sound simple. So I will, uh, be vulnerable and just let you know that I lost that semester. I was, when I started get diagnosed in October, I tried to power through it for the next two weeks. And anyone who's been in college, this was late October. So by the time we got to Thanksgiving break, uh, those of you who've ever, you remember your days in college or graduate school, um, you go to Thanksgiving break and then you come back and your, your papers are due and your final exams are done. And I, I couldn't do it. I just could not get back on my feet fast enough. I didn't recognize it soon enough. And uh, I lost a semester of school. So, uh, at, at Thanksgiving break. So I like literally had three weeks left out of an 18 week semester. And it's, it's pretty disheartening to lose that. But I will say this, cutting that dead weight was like cutting a cinder block off of your ankle when you're trying to swim, being able for some, to have some space to be able to take that break really helped me. But then I got back on my feet, everything was rocking along. And I made the mistake that a lot of people say, or that doctors tell you you're not supposed to do, but a lot of people think they can. And I just stopped taking my medication. Here's the thing with SSRIs, um, anti-anxiety medications, uh, you know, and other ADHD medications, these type of things, you could stop just cold turkey, just don't take them. But when it comes to anti or SSRIs, antidepressant medication, you cannot just stop. Your body rebounds hard back from the right to the left, so to speak. And uh, it's so hard that you actually go into a deeper depression than you originally started. So it was probably, it was probably 10 or excuse me, one to two years, I almost said 10 to 15 minutes. <laughs> it, was probably, <laughs> it was probably one and a half to two years later, I stopped taking my medication and I just felt that feeling again of this, I don't feel, I feel like I'm depressed. Now I had a name for it. Now I could recognize it. So I was able to kind of get back on my feet, go back to my doctor, explain that I got off my medication. I think I got off too soon. And he's like, absolutely. And so this is a, a warning, um, not as a threat to, to, our listeners, your listeners, but to just say, guys, if you're on an SSRI, you have to wean off. You have to, you, here's the good part. You can, you don't have to stay on it for the rest of your life. If you just get on a medication to get back on your feet and to get through a, a patch of depression, you're looking at a six month to 12 month time on that medication before they'll wind you down and get you off of it, but it's not for life. Um, so I went through that. I, I had a hiccup um, probably in 14 or 15, lost another semester of school. It was a fall semester as well. Oh. But having gone through uh, probably three or four, maybe five cycles of depression, I can say that each time it gets easier to recognize when it's coming on. But I'll say this, I have yet to find myself and to meet anyone who would agree that by the time that they found it and they caught it early enough. And what I mean by that is we call it, anybody that's been in it understands when I talk about the vicious cycle and the spiral out of control. And usually, if you picture like the, if you're looking down, say like from a, a cloud view of like a hurricane or a tornado, usually when you think you're on that outer rim of the cycle and you're about to spin out and, and spiral out of control or spiral down into depression, you're probably more like a quarter of the way to halfway down already by the time you start recognizing the symptoms. So it's very important to uh, have your spouse or your loved ones and friends that you see the most to tell them to be vulnerable with them, share with them what to look for when you're depressed. One of my first uh, things 
that I would that I do when I'm depressed is I start to get really tired all the time. I start to nap a lot. Um, and that's just your body trying to recover. Your, your brain is in recovery mode and your body is trying to say, guys, we need to shut this down and recover. We're not recovering enough. Um, the other thing is irritability, anger. Those three things are, that I see in myself, when my wife starts seeing those, she starts asking questions. But that didn't come from, the, from 2012. That came from 2012 to 2020. Uh, of of seeing different cycles and watching the patterns, so I would just encourage people yeah. on that. Eight years, eight years to really cut. I mean, you're at eight years now, and I'm sure you still have more to learn. Um, I think that's a an extremely important message. I I want to revisit a few things you said because I think they're really incredibly powerful for men, and I will identify with this one. If you stop groping your wife and desiring, sex is on top of our list most days. And if that goes away, I mean, there's something going on. And it may not be that you're tired of your wife. In fact, it it, it probably isn't. So, um, I, you know, super easy indicator. Um, also, th- what, what I was referring to earlier by going to a general practitioner, she put me on an SSRI and didn't tell me what would happen if I stopped. And I stopped and it was, it was... Uh, to say nasty is, um, I, I stopped cold turkey. To say nasty is a is a light term, and it was incredibly difficult and debilitating. So, uh, you know, years for me, years tapering off of that. Now, um, so 2020s here, and I mean, you've gone through all this, and you mentioned early in this call that you you have noticed this type of issue in high driven people in driven individuals. So what, as a men's minister, you have a great outlet. Tell us a little bit about how, what you do, what you're actively doing to, to kind of help other people through this. Yeah. So primarily, um, two things, primarily my first role is to, is to meet one-on-one with guys like this, that are, that are struggling with these symptoms. And um, this is available to your listeners. Uh, if you're on the if you're on the Brotherhood of Fatherhood pay, Facebook page, uh, my name is Brandon Graham G R A H A M, and you're able to find me on Facebook there and uh, send me a message. I'm happy to help you. We can do a Zoom call. Um, this is for anybody who's Brotherhood of Fatherhood. Um, I'm happy to meet with you guys and talk about it. If you think you're having symptoms, if you're having problems, please reach out to me. Um, my email, and I don't mind sharing this publicly. My email is Brandon B R A N D O N at RPC staff. That's RPC staff, like uh, S-T-A-F-F, not O-R-G. And uh, so my first thing is meeting with people, hearing their story and sharing my story because the most powerful thing for someone who's depressed is to be able to sit across from someone else who's nodding their head or who shares their story first. And you're just like, man, this guy is reading my mail. Like, how does he know this? So I know right now some of your listeners are experiencing this. They're on the treadmill or they're driving right now in their car. They're listening to this and they're like, holy crap, I know exactly what he's talking about. I know what that fog means. I know what he's talking about when he says that spiral. And it just builds this community. It builds security, personal security around ourselves to say, wow, somebody gets it. Somebody understands and and understands. And I'm not crazy. I think that's a big part too. When you talk about mental health, we we, tongue in cheek, but we do mean that, right? Like in our heads, we're like, okay, thank God I'm not crazy. Like other people are doing this too. I'm not crazy that I can't do the things I want to do. And the second big thing I'm doing is I'm writing a book. I think it's important that my story gets out there. Um, It's a lot more in depth and detail of some of the nasty that you talked about when we go through the depressive episodes, how we cope with those things in not so unhealthy ways. And I'll just be vulnerable and honest. Um, 
being a men's minister does not um, keep me from doing things I shouldn't be doing uh, to cope with stuff. So um, I'll, I'll go to that in the in the book a little bit more. But yeah, I'm working with an editor right now. I don't have a book title or anything, you, a link to send you to. This is not a book tour. But um, I think it's important that I make my mess my message. And I want to get out there to the people that are high drive individuals that normally aren't going to go see a counselor, but their wife or or some of their friends, or maybe they self-recognize that maybe I need some help. And they'll just pick up this book and read it. Uh, I, I was a Marine for 10 years, Marine Corps infantry. So I write in crayon. So it's pretty easy to read. <laughs> you should be able to read it in a couple of days. And, uh, and it's just conversational. Like we're sitting around a campfire and I just tell people my story, what happens, how I feel. And it kind of explain in very simple metaphors, like I did with the water in the cup of, of how the different medications work, how it feels and what you can do to get help. And then I, I'll, I'll, I'll close with, or I'll, I'll hand it back to you after this, but just wanted to say there's three things that were key in every time I've been depressed. There are three things that you have to do to get out of depression. And it's not pray and read your Bible more. Um, although those help, those aren't the three key things that you need to do. The three key things you need to do is exercise for at least 30 minutes a day. When you're depressed, that's the last thing you want to do. So I'll tell you what counts. Putting a, a leash on your dog and going around the block and just walking, just getting outside and Absolutely. walking for 30 minutes. And Scott, he's a fitness guy. He can tell you more about all that that goes with it. The second thing is to get help. Talk to somebody. If it's not a counselor, a professional counselor, talk to somebody who's been through it, who knows what you're going through. And then finally, don't be afraid to at least seek the medication route for help. You don't have to. I said these are three things you have to do. You don't have to have medication. I've seen guys that done, that have, have done it. But I'll tell you this. Um, when you are in the depths of depression and you are in the depths and you are in a really dark spot, it is so emotionally and physically, it's almost a physical pain. You know what I'm talking about, Scott, but it's yep. almost a physical pain. It is so emotionally painful that you would do anything short of, well, I wouldn't even say there's, there's probably no limits to what one would do uh, to relieve the pain and get themselves out of it. So um, I, I would say uh, definitely seek a doctor's help. Whether it's medication or not, you need to see a doctor. So health, uh, fitness, counselor and see a doctor just to make sure that everything else is okay. Because quite frankly, the, the depressions of symptoms, uh, depressive symptoms can often feel like uh, depression, but maybe you've got a thyroid problem or maybe you've got a blood sugar issue or something like this. So see a physician, get some blood work done and make sure that it is depression. And then if it is, I encourage people, please use medication if, it's, if, it, if that's your route. Uh, I know people feel differently about that, so I'm not going to force that on anybody, but you at least need to see a doctor to, to know if it is or not. Well, make no mistake, your mood and um, anxiety and all these things are, are, are a, a symptom of misfiring in your brain. Um, too much of a chemical, too little of a chemical, too much dopamine, too much serotonin, too much melatonin, whatever the case, maybe dopamine is not one of them. But the, and medications basically are, like you said, they're building, they're either building bridges or blocks, blocking things to keep the message, the message your brain is sen sending on track. So um, I love those three points. Again, exercise 30 minutes, talk to someone and don't fight the medication, get some help from a professional. Um, so the, the thing that I kind of want to revisit really quick and just remind you guys is, is Brandon gave his, his, uh, 
his contact, you know, info. And I think one thing that we really want to focus in on in Brotherhood of Fatherhood is that men need other men to lean on and that we're all really pretty messed up and, and we don't tend to talk about it. And I, there's, there's a huge problem in our society with that. And, and that's not where we can be. If we want to be men that lead in our community, we want to be men that lead our, our, our family um, and, and raise uh, future adults who function at a very high level. We have to get rid of that. We have to reach out and talk to people. And um, sometimes it's best to have someone who's not next door to you. And and I, I really appreciate, I think, you know, I would put out the same message, but Brandon's info will be in the in the notes below this podcast. So check it out. I'll put his his link to his to his contact. And uh, Brandon, I think uh, we will be excited to see your book. I'm sure we'll do another follow-up podcast when that happens. That'll be really exciting. Um, and I really appreciate you coming on with us today. Yeah, Scott, I appreciate being here. And um, parting shots, just to say, guys, uh, exactly what Scott said. Uh, we need, you don't suffer in silence. And I've been there. I've been to the depths that you don't want to talk about and that you wish you, you never would have been to. I've been the guy that has thought about how could I move my garage around so that I could get my truck to fit in there so that I could think about closing the door and leaving the car running. Um, had those thoughts where I've, I've, I've thought to myself, if I shoot myself and I do it in the bathtub, it'll be easier to clean up, but I need to do it at a time where my wife will find me and not my kids. I mean, those are dark, dark thoughts that nobody wants to talk about, but I've been there. I've, I've experienced that. So I feel, uh, empathy towards you. And I also understand a lot of what you're going through if you're struggling with this. So please don't suffer in silence and please don't let it get to that point. Um, without asking for help and reaching out to anybody here, brother of fatherhood or any professional or somebody that you know. That's awesome. Thank you very much, Brandon. Uh, absolutely. Great to be here. And uh, I look forward to hearing from you guys and, and talking when the book comes out. Thanks for having me, Scott. Yeah, our pleasure. Hey, you guys, if you enjoyed this podcast, make sure you uh, subscribe to whatever we're on. We're on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, we're everywhere. So find your favorite podcast, Medium, subscribe, tell us you're listening. We'd really love that and share it with your friends. 